Hey, everyone. Quick heads up. There's some unbleeped language ahead. Of all the evidence that's come out during the legal proceedings against hundreds of rioters who showed up at the Capitol on January 6th, there's this one piece of video I just can't shake. This was shot by a rioter himself. He'd stuck a camera onto the helmet he was wearing. You can listen in as he explains to a little crowd gathered around him exactly what he wants to do. He says he wants to get inside the Capitol and take it over. What if they start shooting? <laughs> okay. What if they start shooting? Someone asks. The guy with the helmet cam laughs. He says, every one of my guys are here, and they came in hot, and so did I. Probably, you're probably standing around more than a million and a half guns right now. Then he adds, I just want to hear Nancy Pelosi's head hit every effing stair on the way out. This rioter's name is Guy Reffitt. Later today, he's going to be sentenced for what he did. So, Ilya, if I asked you to describe Guy Reffitt in just a few words, I'm kind of wondering what you'd say. I think the words I would pick would be arrogant, boastful, family man, upwardly mobile, blue-collar, oil worker. Ilya Meritz is going to tell you Guy Reffitt's story. And that's all that he was for a large part of his adult life until around 2015 when Donald Trump announced his run for president and Guy Reffitt got really, really excited about everything that Trump was doing. Back in the spring, a jury took a look at evidence like that helmet cam video and they found Guy Reffitt guilty of five counts, including transporting a firearm in furtherance of a civil disorder and obstruction of an official proceeding. A lot of his defense comes down to the idea that Guy Reffitt is a braggart and that anybody who knows him knows that he talks a really big talk, uh, but that actually he's a pussycat, or if not a pussycat, then just an arrogant son of a bee uh, who doesn't need to be taken seriously, certainly shouldn't be taken at his word. And that's really, you know, we're looking at Guy Reffitt about to be sentenced. That's the heart of the kind of conflict between prosecutors and defense lawyers. It's funny because that defense, it's the same defense you'll hear people make about Trump himself. That like, it's just words. He's just saying stuff. He's not really going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, <sighs> yes, <laughs> I agree. I've thought, I've thought of that a bunch of times as I, as we were making this podcast, Will Be Wild. It really struck me that um, at the heart of this whole thing is um, kind of a disagreement over the meaning of words. Do words really matter? Do they really mean something? Today, the federal government is saying, yes, words do matter. And they're asking a judge to sentence Refit to 15 years behind bars, the longest sentence for a rioter so far. They're calling Guy a domestic terrorist. I mean, as you say, you've gotten to know Guy Reffitt and his family pretty well. 
Like, would you classify him as a domestic terrorist? <laughs> the, the language that prosecutors use is this. They say it counts as domestic terrorism if the offense was calculated to influence or affect the conduct of government by intimidation or coercion or to retaliate against government conduct. That checks out. That's what they say checks out based on the evidence with Guy Reffitt. And yes, if you look at the kind of things Guy Reffitt was saying, yes, indeed, he did indeed intend to intimidate or retaliate against the government. Today on the show, peeling apart how this one man made it to the Capitol on January 6th. Guy Reffitt's sentencing may be singularly harsh, but his story... It's not singular at all. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you've heard the name Guy Reffitt, it's probably because you know the story of how he got caught. Like a lot of January 6th rioters, a family member turned him in. His 18-year-old son knew that his father had changed, and he feared for his own safety and the safety of others. He feared enough that he tipped off the FBI about his own father. Can you imagine being put in that position? Jackson Reffitt joins us now. But in Guy's case, that family member who called the feds, it was his teenage son, Jackson. I'm kind of on my own on my family right now with my own views about my dad. And I do love him. And I do care for him, but that doesn't ignore everything else he's said and done. Ilya Meritz was working on his podcast, Will Be Wild, when he heard all this. He was looking to understand how January 6th happened in the first place. He thought understanding this family might help him do that. Not just the father and the son at the heart of this conflict, but the mother and the sisters who were left behind in Wiley, Texas, when Guy got arrested. So he reached out. They were willing to talk, and I flew down to Texas. I met Nicole Reffitt, Guy Reffitt's wife, and Sarah Reffitt, his oldest daughter. And, you know, we spent probably four hours at a Mexican restaurant just talking through everything. And I, I found them to be incredibly intelligent, smart, funny, honest people. You know, I went into this kind of nervous. <laughs> How do you feel about your husband being in jail? Well, you know, what, do you think your dad's hmm. a terrorist? But they were really willing to talk about all of this kind of stuff, nothing off limits. And by the end of the conversation, they really almost had me at the idea that Guy has been misunderstood, that he talks a big talk, that he's a braggart, but that he really wouldn't 
hurt a fly. And it was only the next day when I interviewed Guy Reffitt's son, Jackson, that I started to see the other side of Guy Reffitt. And the vision of Guy Reffitt that Jackson Reffitt gave me, his son, is really, really different. It's somebody who had been a family man and had been a great dad, but progressively had fallen in love with Trump and Trumpism. And then when the pandemic came and when he was out of work, started going down the rabbit hole. As Jackson told it, his dad's descent started with an economic shock. A few years ago, the whole family, Guy, Nicole, the three kids, they'd been living in Malaysia. That's where Guy was working as an oil rig manager. And life was pretty good. But then the price of oil crashed, and they were left without a cushion. The Reffits moved back to Texas, tried to piece a life back together. But the Trump presidency and the pandemic created cracks in the family dynamic. Guy leaned into Trump's bluster, while teenage Jackson embraced socialism. And that's, you know, not so strange for an American family to have differences of opinion inside the family. But in this family, they were just taunting each other constantly. My favorite part of your reporting is when I think one of Guy Reffitt's daughters said, I had to mute the family chat because, like, they would just be picking at each other, like, day in, day out, Jackson and his dad, Guy. Yeah, basically, like, they had to leave the family chat because it was so annoying. But it's more than words, Jackson says. His dad buys a generator. He starts stocking up on ammo and water. He's talking about, like, the electrical power grid being reset, the electoral votes being somehow reset and recounted, like, really kind of crazy stuff. So he's prepping for some kind of situation to happen and then also paranoid about what already has happened with the election? Yeah. (laughs) Jackson sees his dad becoming progressively more and more paranoid. And then there's something happens that really convinces Jackson that his dad is not just sort of unstable, but could actually commit violence. And this happens in the summer of 2020. At some point, one night, Nicole, Jackson's mom, comes out on the patio and says, Your dad just put a gun to my head. And like everyone went quiet. It was my older sister and her boyfriend and me. And I was like, what? That's not okay. And then uh, I I stood up and I was like, guys, that's not okay. That's clearly not okay. Like say it out loud to yourself, seriously. And then nothing came about it. Not a single thing. It was just dad being dad. I went back to Nicole to confirm it with her. And she said that it's actually happened on a few occasions that her husband has held a gun to her head. Nicole says that Guy would never actually hurt her. But in Jackson's mind, anyone who would hold a gun to the head of somebody else has already proven themselves to be a violent person. And so a few months later, when Guy Reffitt is deep in the conspiracy theories about a stolen election, and he's talking about going to D.C. and doing something big, Jackson is scared. He was sufficiently concerned that he actually sent a tip to the FBI on Christmas Eve. And that sets in motion this whole situation where 
basically, Jackson is in touch with the FBI about his family in the days after January 6th. His father comes home and is kind of bragging about what he did. I had my Spartan armor uh, plates, my kidney plates, and my 40 on my side. Jackson even records his father. They had five weapons on them. Yeah, I mean, they're lucky we didn't shoot them. And he's passing those recordings to an FBI agent. And the morning that he meets the FBI agent in a parking lot in a Dodge Charger, Jackson Reffitt had been threatened with his dad specifically. His dad told him and his younger sister Peyton, traitors get shot. And he was clearly worried that his own kids might turn him in. And that is exactly what Jackson Reffitt did. Guy Reffitt was not the most violent rioter on January 6th. In fact, he didn't even make it into the Capitol building. But there is footage of him leading other Trump supporters up some steps and motioning for them to go inside themselves. In that tape, you can clearly see the gun strapped on his hip. Guy Reffitt has sent letters to ProPublica, probably also to you, sort of talking about how he's processed what he did on January 6th and how he's thinking about it now. And what's so interesting to me to read that writing is that he doesn't seem to be processing what happened on January 6th as wrong. He talks about how the focal point has been lost of what was trying to be achieved on January 6th. And it doesn't feel to me like he understands necessarily why he's being prosecuted. Do you feel like he does? This is why prosecutors say that Guy Reffitt needs to be locked up for a long time. His remorse extends only as far as his family. He's told me an email. He's really regretful that he did this. But that's because of the toll on his family. It's caused a lot of emotional and mental health problems for his wife and daughters. And and he understands those problems. I don't think Guy Reffitt sees what he did in any way as an affront against democracy. Just the opposite. I think he sees it as necessary. I think he sees our political system as hopelessly corrupt, rigged, unfair, and he sees the conditions of his own detention as evidence of that fact, because he didn't really have hardly any kind of criminal record before going in. He saw himself as an upstanding citizen, and he didn't actually go inside the Capitol. He didn't assault any officers, didn't hurt anybody or take anything or break anything. All of that is true. But (laughs) he was way out there up front with a megaphone gesturing to the crowd, urging them on to climb those steps, to go through the window, to go inside the Senate. He had his zip ties. He had his gun. And if he hadn't gotten bear sprayed in the face, prosecutors say, he probably would have been at the forefront of the group roaming the halls of the Capitol. And that's why prosecutors say Guy Reffitt is such a dangerous man. He just doesn't see it that way. And neither does his family. Do you have a good idea of why Guy Reffitt turned down a plea deal from the government? Because right now the government's asking for 15 years. I imagine he'd be looking at much less time behind bars if he had pled out. He is a no surrender kind of guy. <laughs> huh? I mean, he is <laughs> like that's that's the answer. I did ask him and he was like, no way, no way. After the break, inside the first January 6th trial to go to a jury.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back in March, Ilya Meritz went to Guy Reffitt's trial. He said it was notable for a couple of reasons. First off, most January 6th defendants, they aren't making it to trial. Guy was the first. But second of all, this trial was a kind of family reunion. Guy's son, Jackson, he hadn't been in the same room with his mom and his dad and his sisters for over a year. I attended the trial. I saw Jackson take the stand there. Peyton, the youngest child in that family, was on the witness list, but she wasn't ultimately called to testify. Because she was threatened as well. That's right. She also received a threat from her dad, although she says that it was empty words and that she didn't take it as a seriously intended threat. She just took it as her dad's sort of typical bravado. I can understand that from a family point of view, but it sounds like when you were at the trial, it didn't really track as a defense, right? Yeah, you know, the defense attorney, Bill Welch, the former defense attorney, Guy Reffitt, fired him afterwards and, and retained a new attorney for sentencing. But, you know, in his cross-examination of Jackson Reffitt, one of his lines was basically, you know, your dad drinks too much sometimes and, you know, he's taking some kind of medication and, and don't you know that you shouldn't mix pills and medication? And Jackson's like, yeah. And then Guy Reffitt's attorney says, well, d- did you think it was a good idea to provoke your dad? And Jackson was like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and then the prosecutor comes up for redirect and she asks him how old he is. And he says, I'm 19, or I think he might have been 20 at that point. And then she says, how old is your dad? And Jackson says, 49. Huh. And then (laughs) the prosecutor says, I have no further questions. There just wasn't that much of a defense. Guy Reffitt just never mounted that much of a defense. The only argument he really made is that he didn't hurt anybody at the Capitol. He didn't physically assault anybody there, and he didn't step inside the Capitol, which is true enough. But it sort of ends there. After Guy was found guilty of all five counts against him, his wife, Nicole, got up in front of reporters to respond. She's defiant, angry at how her family had been treated. Using my minor child as a pawn is uh, probably the most disgusting ploy I've ever seen. Um, Nicole went on to give instructions to other January 6th defendants, people who had not yet been brought in front of a judge. Don't take a plea. Do not take a plea. They want us to take a plea. The reason that we have all guilty verdicts is they are making a point out of Guy, and that is to intimidate the other members of the One Sixers. And we will all fight together. I listened to her and I thought, well, she's kind of right. 
<laughs> like, I think the government is trying to make a point out of Guy. They're trying to be like, listen, we can get longer sentences if you don't cooperate with us. But she also doesn't seem to think that Guy deserves harsh treatment or really a ton of accountability at all. Am I getting that right about her? Yeah, no, you are. I mean, Nicole is a, is a complex person with a lot of different views. And I think if you just read her Twitter feed or watched her public statements, you'd have a very one-dimensional view of her. You know, Nicole was sort of forced to reassess everything in September of last year when she was going to go to a rally in D.C. and there was an incident on the plane and she got pulled off the plane, basically involuntarily committed to a mental institution for about a week. Her daughter, Sarah, called the authorities and, and had her put in because she was so paranoid and screaming and locked herself in the bathroom and said that she wanted to die. And one good effect of that, Nicole would say now, is that she got into therapy and she started really examining her life. But Nicole is a very split person. She loves her son and is so proud of having raised like a sensitive, strong, interesting young man. But by the same token, she fiercely defends Guy Reffitt, even with the knowledge that he has physically threatened her and held a gun to her head on more than one occasion. I think no matter how long Guy is away for, Nicole is going to spend some years thinking about her marriage and her relationship. Hmm. I kind of wondered, after watching how the trial played out, would... Guy Reffitt be looking at anything like this sentence without his son testifying against him because he did not enter the Capitol building. And so part of what contextualizes everything he did is what his son said on the stand. And I think that opens up the window for this kind of longer sentence. You know, many, many people turned in friends and coworkers and family members after the 6th. But as far as I know, Jackson Reffitt was the only one to tip the FBI beforehand. And as far as I know, he was the only one to be directly threatened by a rioter, as he was by his dad, and to communicate that threat to the FBI. And because Jackson told the FBI about that threat, that got guy one more count of witness intimidation. And that is going to contribute years to his sentence. Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, early, early on after the riot, one of his very first public appearances, he said, you know, family members, friends, colleagues, we are counting on these people to come forward. And more and more of them are as we look at domestic extremism, not just January 6th, but going forward, because there is such a pervasive air of extremism and discontent in our country. And we're counting on the people who know potentially violent people best to tell us when they have tipped over, right? When they have passed the point where they might actually become violent and be a threat to society. And more and more of them are coming forward. He basically said, we need more Jackson Reffitts, although he didn't say Jackson's name. But if we are going to have more Jackson Reffitts, it's going to split a lot more families. You said it's, it's kind of Nicole's dream that once Guy Reffitt is released from prison the whole family can go through therapy and work this out. And Jackson Reffitt, her son, who turned his dad in, he's like, oh, that that would be interesting. 
But do you think that will ever happen for them? It's It seems so far out because they're on such different pages. I think everyone in that family does have some kind of vision of healing, but it does seem a very long ways away. And depending on how long Guy Reffitt is in prison, if he gets the 15 years that prosecutors ask for, he'll be, you know, something like retirement age when he gets out. I don't know where things will stand at that point. I don't know if Jackson will be reconciled better, more with his mom and sisters. They do talk, but I I think they're not very comfortable with each other at the moment. Ilya Meritz, I'm super grateful for your reporting. Thanks for it. It was a pleasure to talk with you, Mary. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Ilya Meritz is the co-host of Will Be Wild, a podcast from Wondery. The sound you heard of Jackson Reffitt in this show. It comes from episode four, Rules for Radicals. Go check it out. It's really fantastic. All right, that's our show. If you are a fan of what we do here, day in and day out, I have an idea for you. The best way to show us your support is to sign up for Slate Plus. It shows our bosses you really like what we do. It also gets you unlimited access to Slate.com and ad-free podcasts when you listen, even this one. So just go on over to Slate.com slash whatnextplus and sign up today. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Del Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Rubinova and Jared Downing. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I'm going to be back in this feed tomorrow. I will catch you then.